Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. And our title and topic today is Four Words to Anchor Your Leadership in the Wilderness of Uncertainty. Four Words to Anchor Your Leadership in the Wilderness of the Uncertainty in Which We Are Living Today. COVID-19 pandemic now is in month five. Uh, it looks like it's going to be going on this uncertainty for at least another six or seven months or longer. So there have been multiple waves of grief and loss uh, coming over people's lives, sadness, bewilderment, bewilderment confusion, so, just so much upheaval uh, so quickly. And there's a great sense of vulnerability and lack of control. And yet for you listening and myself, we're leading ministries and nonprofits and teams and people and families and the question is, how do we lead uh, through what seems like a wilderness of such uncertainty and a long wilderness, actually? So uh, as I've been pondering this and uh, thinking about what's really served me and uh, as I've been talking with other leaders, I have four words that I'd like to leave you with to ponder that might give you a bit of a, a structure uh, to come back to uh, as we're in this long wilderness period. And the four words are anchor, season, surrender, and invitation. Uh, anchor season surrendered invitation. But before I begin, let me just uh, share with you a, a, a Native American truth that Sherry shared with me that uh, a couple of weeks ago. That's also a biblical truth as well. And it's very, it simply goes like this: that nothing grows from the outside in; everything grows from the inside out. In other words, think about trees or plants or people. Uh, we gestate in the womb uh, of our mothers, and trees and plants start from seeds and grow upward. And that truth that nothing grows from the inside out, everything grows from the inside. Uh, nothing grows from the outside in, it grows from the inside out. And I shared this with a, a, a leader uh, recently, and I, I texted him, I said, how's your building project going? Because they're in the middle of a building project. And I said, if you remember, the building project is not the physical building, it's, it's you. Uh, and if you let God build you from the inside out and go upward, the outside building stuff will just take care of itself. And so we like to say in emotionally healthy discipleship, you can't give what you do not possess. You can only give what you do possess. And who you are is more important than what you do. And the state you are in is the state you will give to other people. Be before you do. And so whatever we do as, a, as leaders must come from our insides, our, our center place. And that's why these four words are so important to get them into us so that we can lead others uh, that we're serving, but we can't lead them into something we're not living from the inside out. So, because it needs to flow out of our our lives. So, let's just begin with a, the first word, anchor. Almost every leader I know is working harder uh, than they were prior to the pandemic, and we've all had to pivot. That's the key word, right? There's there's now there's a much more to do, and the demands, the expectations have shifted. Opportunities and needs have uh, grown. Uh, and it can be quite overwhelming. And so it's quite important that we get ourselves anchored. And we have a, actually have a theology for it. There's a, a, a Catholic theologian named Robert Barron who argues that the heart of original sin is the refusal to accept God's rhythm for us. And and it goes into Genesis 1 and 2, and it, we're made in the image of God. And uh, the essence of God's image is, is God works and then he stops. And we too are made to, to work and then also to stop. That's the rhythm 
uh, that we're to have in our lives daily and, and weekly. And actually our bodies, our brain, our spirits, our emotions were wired by God for this rhythm of work and rest. Uh, and when we fail to anchor ourselves in that rhythm, it, it's actually, he argues, the very essence of the sin of rebellion in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were given the task of, of cultivating the garden, to work it and make achieve make achievements in the garden, but they were they were to embrace their limits and not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were to stop, uh, and they were not to try and see and know what belongs only to Almighty God. And so that, that's the principle here, is embracing our limits and recognizing that our, our first work is to anchor ourselves, uh, set a structure in our days and our weeks, boundaries, limits, and really the word is rhythms. And so what uh, we recommend, what I've been using for years, Jerry and I, uh, since actually early 2003, was, uh, really is a rule of life. And that's my recommendation to you is this, this tool that comes out of ancient uh, monasticism, the Desert Fathers, developed in the 3rd and 4th centuries, uh, of, as uh, men and women began to flee to the deserts uh, in Egypt and then later Syria uh, in the Near East and, and to seek God's face, they began to gather in communities around what we know today as a rule of life or a, a, a trellis of life, a way to structure their lives so they'd be receiving and giving the love of God. And uh, so Benedict's rule has become the classic in Western Christianity since, you know, the 500s and has tens of thousands of men and women, both inside and outside monasteries, have used Benedict's rules to, to begin to anchor themselves in the love of God. And so we've developed this tool over time to, to help aid that process for us as leaders to, to differentiate ourselves. And uh, that is, you know, remain connected to people we're serving, yet not allowing our reactions or behaviors to be determined by them. And actually, you know, growing into a solid self versus what we call often a reflected self and not over-functioning for people. And and so early on, uh, when the pandemic first began, I actually shared a, a, a rule of life uh, that I had to adjust once I entered the pandemic. So I, I, like you, needed to develop a new structure for my time and relationships and uh, how I would structure my time because so much of the rhythms and kind of anchors I had in my life got moved out, got just sort of torpedoed by the pandemic and uh, you know, the whole way I did leadership. And so like you, I've had to pivot. So what's interesting is as now we're in month five, uh, going into month six of the pandemic now, uh, I've had to revisit this rule of life and anchoring because it's this is not just a simple two or three month shift happening. This is a nine to twelve to who knows eighteen month shift uh, with with longer term implications. And so, uh, so I'm going to invite you to actually consider revisiting the way you're structuring your life and develop a rule of life. And uh, again, the goal is is to be a non anxious presence in God for those we serve because we're, we're anchored and. So again, I've always historically looked at this one or once or twice a year, but now with the present situation in which we're living in, with all the uncertainty, uh, it's much more frequent. And so, for example, there's, there's four categories, prayer, rest, relationships, and work, and the center of which is uh, the love of God, receiving and giving the love of God to others. So to, you can put different things in different categories. So right now, my prayer box looks like a you know, weekly Sabbath, daily office, silence, solitude, stillness, daily regular devotional reading. I, I journal, not every day, but a few times a week. Uh, and now I, I've made some shifts. I'm, I'm 
uh, not simply praying the Psalms a few times a week. I'm actually studying the prophets, uh, Jeremiah and Habakkuk, uh, quite seriously. And and in, I'm in the book of Philippians uh, and studying Paul and his being in Christ in the midst of being in prison. And it's been really fascinating for me. And then under relationships, uh, uh, Jerry, of course, it remains first, but we've had some challenges as, as this pandemic has gone on. We we had six of our children living with us, or six people living in the house with us. We began pre-pandemic with just Jerry and I, empty nesters, and that number six has now grown to eight. Uh, two others of our daughters have moved in. So uh, besides having a three-year-old and a one-year-old, uh, and a son-in-law and a daughter, that family, we've got two other single uh, daughters living with us as well. Uh, and so there's eight of us in this house. And so that has shifted things up for, up for us. And we now, Jerry's sharing in the care of her 94-year-old mother, who is a few blocks away. Uh, she's involved with that as well, which involves all of us, uh, besides remaining connected to our daughter in Australia and her husband and extended family. And actually, my own relationship with my siblings has taken a new turn as we meet, you know, every other week and, uh, you know, through phone calls and, and Zoom. And that's been significant. And and I, I've actually reconnected with a number of mentors uh, I made that a priority because uh, older mentors in particular, because of just resourcing myself and my own growth, and that's been significant. I, uh, I I like what my my one of my mentors has said to me. You know, a, a true spiritual guide is someone who can remember God's story in you when you've forgotten. And I think we all need those touch places. But for me, that's been it's been important and becoming increasingly important as the pandemic continues. And then for rest, exercise and sleeping well and reading and, you know, getting to nature is all in there. Now, vacation, I've had to make some shifts with vacation. Um, this, in light of the pandemic, we've been able to travel and uh, it's been some challenges. We got rejected from Airbnbs in certain states. Uh, uh, and so I ended up taking a week this past week off and for vacation and taking three in, in August. But it's been a challenge. Um uh, and then in terms of my whole work life has shifted and continued to shift as the pandemic's unfolded. And uh, just recognizing the exhaustion of Zoom uh, and pivoting the ministry has been significant. And, and the work, the amount of work there is to do and opportunities are way more than uh, pre-pandemic. I, I finished a, a book of a year and four months. And so I needed to take a week off now, as soon as that book was finished, just for a break uh, and then moved out to August. And actually, we were uh, months ago, when we first started the pandemic, we were babysitting daily for our grandchildren. We stopped that. It was just unsustainable long term. And so a rule of life, again, I, I want to recommend that to you. It's it's so uh, so critical, I, I think, to, to set a structure that we anchor ourselves in God. It's kind of like a squeeze machine. You've ever seen the movie Temple Grandin, an autistic woman who courageously overcame the her limitations and challenges in life that she has with autism in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And uh, as uh, she began to work with uh, cattle and slaughterhouses and the treatment of animals. and But she created what's called a squeeze machine, she called it, a hug box to help her calm down when she would get you know highly reactive and hyper. She was hypersensitive as an autistic person. And uh, she knew what it was like to have an overload, a nervous system overloaded by crises. And so she would get into the squeeze machine and let it squeeze her so she could calm down. A rule of life is like a squeeze machine. 
uh, it just kind of like the silence, whatever your practices are, whatever things you put in anchoring in your life, Sabbaths, etc. It kind of just calms you down. That's why I say a rule of life is so essential for us in leadership because there's so much anxiety in the system around us. Uh, by system, I'm referring to society, the news alone, uh, that a squeeze machine of a rule of life just calms us down so we can offer that non-anxiety to those around us. And, and actually, a rule of life enables us to enter a, a sense of God's timing differently. There, we have a different relationship with time. Uh, John O'Donoghue, some may know him, he's an Irish poet, former Jesuit priest, and uh, he's written about how time has become the enemy, uh, a kind of a bully that captivates us. And yet God made time. He made plenty of time. And, and when we're stressed out, he, he talks about it becoming like a perverted relationship to time. And uh, we become a target and a victim of time. And so at the end of the day, we we find we haven't had even a moment to relax and uh, and just be. But slowing down and finding a rhythm enables us to enter into a different kind of time, a God's time. And, and he mentions in this interview that time is the mother of presence. And Jerry and I had a long conversation about that phrase. Time is the mother of presence. That unless we have a different relationship with time, I'm talking about in terms of not rushing and always driven, always since never enough time, we're really not present to ourselves, to God, or to others. And we realize that we were talking about folks we've mentored and leaders we've worked with, that we've got to make a stronger emphasis on this because if we don't change, help people change their relationship with time, transformation isn't actually possible because it is it, it, it time, proper time, God's time births, births something in us and through us. And, and, and O'Donoghue talks about how when we yield to that God's time, it becomes transformative very quickly in us and, and time behaves differently to us. So again, let me just recommend you check out our team transformational videos. And we have one actually on create a rule of life with some clear explanation of how to do that. And it's meant for leadership teams. It's, it, it's great for individuals as well. And just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash team. Check that out. There's, some, there's a worksheet on there. I explain it. And you'll see the four quadrants, prayer, rest, relationships, and works. Uh, and you can begin to work on your own and begin to say, let me get myself an anchor here amidst this you know, uncertainty and, and movement of life happening all around me. Okay, that's number one, anchored. Second is this, seasons. Uh, seasons. To everything, there's a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. Uh, we are in a season. Now, Joseph in Genesis uh, 41 in particular is an, it's a tremendous example of a leader who has discerned seasons. If you remember, he interprets Pharaoh's dream. There's going to be seven years of abundance in their harvest, followed by seven years of famine that's going to ravage the land. And he says, this matter has been firmly decided by God. Uh, and then, so he recommends to Pharaoh, take one-fifth of the harvest of Egypt, Egypt during the abundant years, store it, and then use it for the seven years of famine that are coming. And then what happens is, you know, the story, all the countries come to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, and then God has a purpose and all of that for his people. Well, there's a season, right? That that and he he was he was he was a discerner of seasons. Now it's a great this whole agricultural farming nature metaphor is, is dominant in scripture. It's not manufacturing like we have today. We don't grow our lives or make a life. We we always make time, 
you know, make a living, get people off the bus of our leadership. And we talk about people as resources and liabilities or assets. That's machine language. Uh, we like it because we, we, it, we, we like to be in charge. But we talk about seasons. They're outside of our control and it runs headlong against our self-will. And, but to everything God says, there's a season. Uh, and this is, this is a, a serious, maturing, growing up truth that has to get inside of us if we're going to mature. Now, again, just think of the four seasons. You have fall, which is a preparation for winter, which is a transition time. Uh, you know, it gets preparation for many animals and plants. You know, trees shed their leaves and protect to protect themselves from frost and snow of the coming winter. There's a dying in autumn and fall and, and a seeding. It's, it's a transition. Then we get to winter, which is a very demanding season. It's it, it, death. Plants, it looks like death. Plants aren't visibly growing. Nature feels like the enemy, and uh, but nature's gone underground to prepare for spring. And spring is fruitfulness, and early spring begins kind of slowly, and tender roots begin to come through the ground. The days get longer, the winds warmer, but by late spring, it's it's flamboyant and sensational, and you know things are are blooming. It's and then we, then we move into summer. Uh, with abundance and, and the forest is filled with undergrowth and there's plenty and the fields are filled with wheat and corn and gardens got, you know, beautiful you know, gardens now and yards, yards and there's weeds and all the promises of fall, winter and spring come true. Uh, but we're in a long winter right now, uh, really a season where it looks like death and, and we can get so, we get so frustrated by COVID-19 and the whole world being in a global pandemic and we get angry and I can demand, I want summer. I want spring and I want revival. I want numbers growing. I, uh, and we can actually fake and manipulate things as if it is summer, uh, the fruit of summer. Uh, and we try to make a life or leadership that, that refuses and rejects the winter that we're in. And, and we end up living a very artificial life of leadership and we're not taking people anywhere. And so there's an invitation to lean into the winter. You know, Billy Graham was asked after 9-11, what is God doing? And I loved his answer. He said, I don't know, but we can still trust him. I love that. We can still trust him. Uh, I'm not sure what God's doing either, but I do know we're in a winter. Uh, and uh, we need the long view of the journey uh, because one thing is clear in the winter, uh, numbers are declining in the full sense of the world. Our definition of success in the scorecard has ha- has been redone for what is success in the church. And I wonder if it's not the famine of Joseph, a season where we're going inward. Uh, God's growing things inside of us that we can't see right now in our churches, exposing idols, pulling them out of us, deepening our our walk with him, uh, ripping out the westernization of Christianity, the Americanization of Christianity, things that have just slipped into us that are so culture driven. Uh, so he can he can do some things in us to prepare us for a future spring summer coming. Uh, I, I know even learning to grieve um, uh, losses biblically uh, has now become center stage because it, it's in everyone's face. Uh, and we've had such an enormous response to the different podcasts on grief and loss. Uh, and I think it touched because it's such a deep nerve. And I, as I've talked with so many pastors and leaders, uh, learning to feel them, which is there's three phases of grief and loss, paying attention to them, waiting on God and the confusing in between and letting the old birth the new. But th- this is core to a deeply transformative discipleship and church that's filled with compassion for the world around her. And uh, it's such a large biblical issue. And 
And now all of a sudden it's come to the forefront in, in, in so many ministries. That's such a gift, especially for the Western church where it's bigger, better, faster, and ascend. But the issue of season leads to the third word I want to give you. So it's anchors, it's season. The third is surrender. It, it, it's this invitation to surrender on a level perhaps we've not surrendered before. Or we weren't. It wasn't seen as clearly as it is right now. Uh, let me just take you to a very important text in Philippians 4 where Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So he uses the word twice, content. Uh, only time it's used in the New Testament. It's actually a word that Paul took from the pagans, from, from Stoics and Cynics of that day. Uh, and it refers to a person, uh, a quality inside of a person that is, they're independent from circumstances and, and they're, 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 they're content, they're free. Uh, and, and Socrates was, was the great example of that, the way he faced death with his self-sufficiency he found within himself. And so Paul takes that pagan word and he transforms it. And, 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 uh, he transforms its meaning and says, no, the secret of being content in all circumstances is found in loving union with Jesus, to live as, for me to live as Christ, to die as game. In Paul's whole letter of Philippians, he says, he's just swimming in Jesus, life or death, and it's an incredible richness. Of, but he says, the contentment, regardless of any circumstance around me, because I've learned it, the secret of it is in Jesus. So whether things are going, whether it's a pandemic or not, whether things are flourishing or are in prison, he goes, I've learned the secret of being content. And so, so this work of surrender, uh, friends, is, is, I know it's my primary work every day. That's why silence and stillness for at least 20 minutes a day on, on every morning is, is foundational for me, which I surrender my will to his will. Now, I'm surrendering my will to his will all through the day. Uh, you know, to drink the cup he has for me, to not exert my self-will on things, and and uh, but to surrender. And it's easier said than done. Anybody can surrender when everything's going the way you want. But surrendering when it's not is a different issue. And this, this issue of surrender uh, has led me, as I've mentioned in other podcasts, to the work of Meister Eckhart, that great Dominican scholar and theologian and monk uh, from uh, the 1100s and 12th century. And you know, coming out of Mary, Mary and Luke 1, she, she's a, a, the example of surrendering our will to God's will. And she goes, I'm the Lord's servant. When she, the angel Gabriel appears to her and she's, uh, may, she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you will. And her entire life plan has been disrupted, but she surrenders herself uh, to God. And even though God's interrupting her life and taking her in an entirely different direction, she surrenders. Unlike, you know, Peter who is the exact opposite of that is he cuts off the attendant of the, you know, he says always his self-will is everywhere in the Gospels. And Eckhart took this truth and really expanded on it. It was really his life work that the goal of life is loving union with God. That is our goal. That's the whole purpose of the cross was to forgive us of our sins so we may be adopted as his sons and daughters and live in loving union with him. But that requires a surrender of our self-will to his will. The problem of most of us, and I'll put myself first on this, is I want the world to unfold in front of me in a certain way. And I, I want it to not unfold a certain way either. And uh, when it unfolds the way I want, I feel good. When it doesn't, I don't feel good. 
And so what happens is our lives are constantly in tension and anxiety because life isn't going the way we want it to be. And, and uh, uh, there's constant disruptions in our, uh, in our churches, our ministries, our families, our future, our finance, our friendships, our children's future. You know, I have a way that I want the world to be. And when it's not the way I want it to be, I get upset. It becomes a living hell. And so here's the news for you, everybody. The world is not going to unfold the way you want. God's running the world, not you, not me. Uh, and I mean, we get upset when it rains on our birthday sometimes, you know. And uh, So when things don't happen our way, if you're like me, I say, this is wrong. God, you're against me. Uh, no, the God is for you. God's for me. But the problem is not the world. The problem is me. The problem is not God. That's for sure. And so... Rather than resist anything we perceive as negative and cling to what we love, we don't want to lose it, uh, the invitation from God is to surrender. Uh, that is no small task. Uh, the problem is for many of us, and even though we're leading in the name of God, we actually end up pit pitting ourselves against the God of the universe. Uh, and so the core of, of the Christian life is surrendering to him. Uh, I love what Eckhart says. He goes, to be empty of all created things is to be full of God. And to be full of created things is to be empty of God. In other words, we lose our life for his sake so that we might find it. And our, our desire is that not just I surrender my will to God's will, but that his will actually becomes my will. Uh, and detachment is I'm actually relinquishing all this possessiveness. And, and so uh, let me invite you to be open to whatever is unfolding in your life, trusting God's being born in your soul and being open to what's happening now around us in this global pandemic. And we we accept the reality of what is out there. Uh, history is changing in before us, but we cling to nothing but him and we resist nothing but him. We, we want him. And our one focus is God be birthed in and through me. And I, I'm like Paul, I'm not going to be defined by my circumstances or even my feelings uh, or by history going on around me, but nothing less than God himself. And I'm not going to use God. I'm going to enter into this, this detached activism. In other words, I'm, I love that phrase. I'm going, to, I'm going to release attachment to outcomes. I may have some goals and I may exert my life to, towards those goals, but I, I'm not attached to an outcome. I'm attached to him. And uh, so how do I deal with a moment in front of me? It's not about liking or disliking it, but receiving the gift God has in it for me and participating with God in it and to be in the present moment and listening to him. I've been studying and reading the book of Jeremiah now for you know a couple of months. And I just, he's been such a tremendous example for me of someone living through circumstances uh, that were so unlike anything we're living through today. And it was the time of the Babylonian invasion of the kingdom of Judah and the, and the wiping out of the temple and everything people had put their hope in uh, as God was doing a, a work of, of actually disciplining his people in order to, you know, to, to, to bring them back out of exile 70 years later. And here was Nebuchadnezzar, uh, here was Jeremiah having to live through this for 40 to 50 years. And uh, he was under such pressure, uh, yet so called by God, so clear on what God had given him to do. Uh, but he was seen as a traitor and misunderstood by most people around him. Uh, and he had these also, he had these false prophets and false leaders and priests around him filling 
folks with false hopes and visions, as he writes, from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. And so he, he calls them over and over again to, uh, the Lord calls uh, him and and then these false prophets saying, you've not stood in the, in the counsel of the Lord to see or hear my word. And uh, and Jeremiah writes, if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people, uh, which are like a, a hammer that breaks a rock into pieces. And I, you know, such a watching his life and studying his life and feeling his life. I, I'm, I'm so reminded of again a great mentor of mine said, you know, we all want to be godly leaders. You know, kind of reaching a mountaintop of 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 you know depth and kind of like Paul there with a, a depth of contentment. We're anchored. We're godly. We're surrendered. Uh, but we want to kind of get there by a helicopter. I, I know for years I wanted to zap someone, just put their hands, anointing of the Spirit on me, and just get me there without all the pain and and crucifixion on the way. And and this wise mentor told me years ago, listen, Pete, the struggle is and the journey is not a detour. It is the most important part of life and ministry. It's what God's doing in you, and it's we participate in the groaning of all of creation, and nothing you know, takes place through a helicopter just jumping you onto the mountaintop. It's a way we mature uh, is the ministry. It's out of which everything flows. And he would encourage me, just relax, you know, go with the season you're in. It is God. And, uh, and, and so that surrendering is hard work and it's tightly related to listening, uh, even though it takes time, which leads me to my final word here for us, which is invitation. Uh, so you've got anchor, you've got season, you've got surrender, now invitation. You know, we, we're waiting on him uh, because we serve the living God and he wants to birth new things in and through us. There are gestations, huge gestations taking place in us and in the church right now. There are, there's a fermentation going on in us, in the church. I'm, I'm utterly convinced in this winter season. Uh, and we will be coming to thresholds, each of us individually in our ministries, uh, thresholds that are invitations to cross over into something new. And we become different people. Our ministries become something different. Uh, and, and this is going on not just in our lives, but in our people as well that we're serving. And Jesus is seeking to birth himself in and through us. And our role is to give our people perspective, to give our ministries perspective uh, to help folks respond to the invitations of God coming through this challenging season. God has large invitations for us as a church. And I mean, just to imagine that, that moving from multiplying programs and large crowds to actually mentoring and multiplying disciples or, you know, the whole way we train and develop leaders uh, shifting globally around the world to a more inner life out of which flows our outer life for God. Uh, but again, most importantly here is our leadership. We lead out of who we are from the inside out. And so let me invite you to, to Paul's powerful words in Philippians, to, to learn the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether things are going fabulously or we're in a global pandemic through him who gives us strength. And, and our one focus to not be defined by our circumstances or the history around us or even our feelings Nothing less than the reality of what's God birthing in me moment by moment. I want to remain open and surrendered, clinging to nothing uh, and resisting nothing except for him uh, and accepting things as they are. And so anchor, season, surrender, invitation, four great words for you. And so 
uh, let me invite you to, again, go to our go, go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash team, and you'll see some team transformation videos there, one of which is on crafting a rule of life, which I talked about in the anchoring, with some clear explanation and guidelines for you. There's also one on Sabbath and Genogram, and with some worksheets and some teaching around, it's all free. Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash team. Thank you, everybody, so much for being with us. It's been a joy to be with you. I pray God's good hand upon you in this day, in this wilderness of uncertainty. So God bless you, everybody. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.